Sometimes I'll get excited. I'm excited about tonight for a couple reasons. One is this is the last in this prophetic series, and it's the most important one, but we couldn't get here until we covered the previous two weeks, which were, does prophecy exist for today? What is the difference between um, a false prophet and an accurate prophet? And what's the difference between prophet and a prophecy and all that good stuff? And so um, that's in the past. But what I want to do tonight is to ask the question, is Old Testament prophecy the same as the New Testament? I want to answer the question, what is the purpose and what is the actual um, role the prophecy plays today, now? So basically, um, what does it actually do and should we care? And finally is, how does the Holy Spirit prompt you if he wants to speak prophetically through you? Which is what I'm really excited about. You guys ready? All right. So the first thing is, and if anybody likes taking notes, please do it. If you'd rather just have me send you mine, I'm great with that too. But the first question I want to ask tonight is that when people wrestle with the challenge of prophecy, sometimes there's a lot of weird dudes in the Old Testament that give prophecy kind of a weird name and weird idea. And so what I want to do is first help clarify our theology on the role of prophecy for today. And um, that the, the root of it, I do not believe that Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy is the same. And here's why is that Jesus made a very interesting statement. He says this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In the very first week, we talked about the theology that's held in major groups and denominations that prophecy does not exist anymore, a cessationist, if you will. And they they will reference this, and, and they basically say, well, Jesus came to fulfill, and therefore... Because Jesus came to fulfill prophets, there's no more prophets now. There's no more prophecy. And so it's easy to assume that because Jesus fulfilled them, that they no longer exist at all. But we also see that in the same sentence as Jesus is talking about fulfilling prophets, he also fulfilled the law. Now, what did Jesus do with the law? Did he get rid of it completely? No. We still have the law. He just satisfies it a different way. He says that all the law and the prophets and the commandments can be fulfilled in this love, the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus came and he actually fulfilled the prophets, what does that mean? Well, the first thing is that he actually fulfilled all the prophets about him. His life was the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies that he would come and he would be our savior. But just like the law didn't go away, neither did prophets. Prophets got redefined, got issued a new role, just like the law did. And we see Jesus referencing this exact transformation of the role of the Old Testament prophets in this statement. He says this in Matthew eleven ten. 10. says, Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big statement. I tell you what, no one has been born of a woman and is greater than John the Baptist. I don't know who else would be not born of a woman, but that's pretty important. But look what he says after. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He elevates John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, basically, and says anybody who's in the kingdom, which is you and I, if, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, this is talking about you. The least of you is greater than him. Why is every new believer greater than John the Baptist? It's because John the Baptist and all the other prophets before him did not have the Holy Spirit. 
John the Baptist, if you read about him, he's kind of a weird dude. He uh, belonged to the wilderness, wore clothing of like camel's hair, ate uh, locust and wild honey. I mean, like the Old Testament prophets, like they've got, like you wouldn't want to be hanging out with them at a social function. You're like, dude, like come on. You know, like they're kind of weird guys. Why? It's because I believe that a lot of their, um, what made them really unique and kind of crazy is like they were trying to encounter the presence of God. And so it drove them kind of nuts and they would do crazy things. And so when they're connected with God, like their life was just kind of bizarre. And, and so you see the most powerful Old Testament prophets be some of the weirdest people. Are you with me? Right? And apparently, I believe it's because they had to go through so much to encounter God. But you and I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That you and I now become the temple, the manifest presence of Jesus. And so the role that John the Baptist was playing in trying to encounter God, you and I have as default believers. All the effort, all the work that he tried to have to have an encounter with Jesus is now within us every single day. And specifically, the role of a believer changed. When Jesus came and paid for our sins and uh, removed the curtain, removed the wall, removed the separation between us and Jesus, something radical happened. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Basically, God is saying, like, I have placed my spirit in you. The transformation that is in you is to give you the message that God is no longer holding the sins against the people. What did Old Testament prophets do? They counted the sins against the people. Are you catching this? You are new creation. And God has equipped you to proclaim to the ends of the earth that God is not holding the sins against the people. You look at the Old Testament, and what did the Old Testament prophets do? They counted the sins against the people. Isn't it interesting how John the Baptist died? If you don't know the story, he was beheaded, which is pretty intense. Now, this is not my original idea, but when I heard it, it was just incredible because could it be interesting, could it be possibly a, a prophetic inference that the Old Testament way of thinking is now gone with John the Baptist? John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, and he was beheaded. Could it be that that is actually a prophetic declaration? The old way of thinking about prophecy and as a prophet is now gone because Jesus came to fulfill the prophets. It's crazy. It gets my mind, like, going. But check out a couple different things. So Jesus was a prophet, but Jesus could do all these things that John the Baptist couldn't do. John the Baptist couldn't drink wine. Jesus made wine. John preached in the wilderness. Jesus preached in the temple. John preached repentance. Jesus' main message was grace and redemption. And John, like all the prophets, was an outsider looking in, and Jesus established his fivefold ministry, which puts the prophet inside the church. The Old Testament prophecy and prophets, they basically were remembered by, look at what you have done. 
the New Testament prophet and the New Testament prophecy is about look what he has done. The Old Testament prophet says, look out for the warning of God, the warning of God. And the New Testament prophet in the role is look it for the welcome of God. So we've been given the message of reconciliation. We've been given that power. We've been given that mandate to use prophecy in a brand new way. So we actually have to ask ourselves, okay, what does prophecy do for us and why should we care? 1 Corinthians 14 says this, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. That word gifts there, it's actually not in the Greek. How this should be read is that earnestly desire to be spiritual, especially that you may prophesy. And then it goes and talks about all the gifts. The exhortation from Paul is to be affected by your own transformation. Earnestly desire to be spiritual, to to be mindful of Jesus, to be mindful that I've been redeemed, to be mindful that God has transformed me. And then basically say, especially that you may prophesy, meaning that let your salvation benefit those around you. Let prophecy be the outflow. Let the proclamation that God is not holding sins against the people that God has given you the job to communicate the goodness. Let that affect your life and affect those around you and benefit those who you know. Verse 2 says, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. He's talking about speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. And for the next 25 verses, Paul compares prophecy and these other gifts. He says, I desire that you to be spiritual, and especially while being spiritual, that you prophesy. And then he goes into all the different manifestations of what the Spirit does to grow and build up the church. And he keeps on elevating prophecy. And he says the word edify eight times in the next 25 verses and ends it with this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. The scriptures show us that there's three roles of prophecy. It was for edification, which means to be built up. Second was exhortation, which means to encourage. And consolation, which means to comfort. Basically, to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. The role of prophecy is to build up, encourage, and to comfort. I'm always skeptical of people who prophesy judgment and destruction and wrath. I read a funny quote the other day. It's like, you know, because the popular place place to prophesy destruction is San Francisco. God's going to send his judgment. And and I read this little funny quip. He's like, prophesying an earthquake in San Francisco is like prophesying a mustache in in Mexico. And it's like so good. It's like, that's that's awesome. But remember, the Old Testament prophets and prophecy was all about what you did wrong, and the New Testament is about what he did right. And so I find it incredibly incongruent for this day to have prophecy be a method of judgment, a method of examination of sin, a method of, of revealing sin. 
Because prophecy, what does it do? It builds up, it encourages, and it comforts. I don't know anybody who's had their sin called on the carpet and exposed to everybody who ever felt built up, encouraged, or comforted. When we prophesy, when we speak the heart of God, you are basically giving someone a kiss from God. I also find the role of prophecy to examine people's sins and to bring it to light incongruent with God's character because my Bible says that God, for his own sake, remembers our sin no more. It also says that God is loving, love always protects. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation that God is not counting sins against us. So how are we using prophecy to count our sins against us? That doesn't make sense. My Bible, I only find one person who's the accuser of the brethren and of our sins. My Bible says that we're to test the spirits. And there's actually one source that stands before the throne of God, and his name is Satan, and he accuses every one of us and is trying to reveal your sins. So when I look at people having revelation, I don't, I don't discount that you can actually have a revelation about someone's sin. I just don't think it's coming from Jesus. Are you with me? So prophecy is not seeing things as they are, but I think prophecy, as we can understand, is about seeing things as they should be. When we participate in prophecy, it's not saying this is what is, it's this is what God thinks it should be. Prophecy looks at you and doesn't see you as you are, but as God would desire you to be. It's about having God's good idea about you before you have that good idea about you. So it says all can prophesy, right? All can prophesy. How does the Holy Spirit prompt the prophetic in you? This is where my heart is like racing and excited for. Because what I want to do, when, when we believe that prophecy is to encourage and to build up and to comfort, and we are given the ministry to bring people back to Jesus, prophe- prophecy gets really exciting. Because it should always encourage people. And we know that we all can prophesy. But many of us don't. Many of us are afraid to. Perhaps we're like terrified of, of what it looks like and what does it mean and like how do I know and all these different things. I, for the longest time, I'm like fairly new in this kind of realm. But for the longest time, I felt guilty because I was thinking, and I I do think I'm a little ADD, not clinically, but just my personality, is that I'm like a ping pong ball of like, you know, ideas. And so when I pray and I'm with people, I'm like, bing, 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 bing. You know, I'm just like all over the place. And for the longest time, I'm like, Jesus, would you just like give me some Ritalin or something? You know, the spirit realm, like help me out here, you know. And what I realized is that God was using my mind and was using the, the, the rapid places my mind would go as actually spiritual pinings in the prophetic. And so you might have been receiving prophetic pinings and inklings yourself, and you never knew it, and you were always trying to minimize that to pay attention. Let's be spiritual. Let's be quiet. Let's be well-behaved. Are you guys all right? All right. Some of you guys are looking scared. I'm not going to say anything weird. I'm going to lighten your heart. (laughs) So I I was begging, you know, the Lord, like, Jesus, what form do you speak prophetically in? And you know what I heard? Whatever form you'll best receive. When we ask the question, God, what form? Will you speak in a bush? Will you come in the wind? Will you do in a donkey? Like, what will you do? His response is, I will speak to you in whatever way you will listen. 
He is so relentless in having his children hear his voice and having his children know that they are meant to be reconciled. And he doesn't care what method it comes in. He'll put it in a taco if he needs. So what I first want to tell you is that if you desire to connect with God and to hear from God and to hear from God on behalf of others, and that's what prophecy is about really, is we, we sometimes hear for us, but I hear the most for other people. And the same is going to be for you is that the prophetic gifting that you have, it's not a selfish like, I'm going to go be by myself and hear only from Jesus. Um, it is actually for you to be the conduit, the plumbing of the Spirit in this realm. You are to be a little pipe in between this earth and heaven to the hearts of people. You are producing a heart transplant in people's lives by what you hear from God. And so God is going to do whatever it takes to have that connection to you. Think of it this way. If you were to have a child and you tragically learn that your child is going to be deaf and cannot speak and cannot hear, you're going to learn sign language. It's not even a question. You, as a loving parent, you will do whatever it takes to have your child know that they can communicate with you and enable that. So let me give you a few common ways that I have found and perceived that people have, have stewarded a prophetic gifting. I'm actually, all these ways are found in the ministry of Jesus, which is super cool. And I'm going to go from easiest to hardest, or simplest to most unusual. How about that? Does that work? And so the goal here is for you to be able to recognize and to be aware of how God might begin to want to speak to you. Because I don't know about you, but for me, like, God doesn't come in the James Earl Jones voice like, hello. Like, he doesn't do that for me. But some of the more powerful times I've had with Jesus have been just these, like, pinings, like these urges, like these, these different things that come. So some of these, like, flow in me, and some of these don't at all, and that's all right. The, the important thing is that Jesus speaks to us. So don't look at this as, like, the definitive way, but this is just to give you a framework in case you're like, that's weird, or why is this going on in my life? You can actually identify this is a prophetic gifting that is arising to me. Cool? So the first one is memory. A memory. The recollection of an event, a scripture reference, a truth, a sermon, a word, or even your own testimony. When you are ministering to some, somebody, some person, some instance, or you're thinking of somebody, and a memory jumps in your mind, it might well be the Holy Spirit. Why? Because look at what, I don't know if we even have the scripture up there, but this is John 14. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, not in new things, but also in reminders. If you're always waiting for a brand new revelation from the Holy Spirit, you might be bored. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do is I'm going to bring to remembrance the things I've said to you, the things I've done for you. If you look at some of the great moves of God in the Old Testament, he had like them build towers of rocks. You wouldn't forget. I wish we'd still do that. <laughs> but he's like... I'm going to bring remembrance to you. So the easiest way that you can actually participate in the prophetic is when you are praying with someone or ministering to someone and something is reminded in your mind. I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that it's likely the Spirit of God bringing to remembrance something. 
throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're bringing remembrance to what God did. God, we, we remember this. And Jesus affirmed this in his own um, prophetic ministry. Basically, you know, he's recalling what God has already done. He's referencing scripture. He says, it is written. He defended the enemy by recollection of the scriptures. Sometimes it requires a memory of what God has already done to participate in what God wants to do. So many times, like, when I get discouraged, I have to go back and I want to, like, God, remind me of the things you've done, how you've done amazing things to me. And that is what settles my heart for my next breakthrough. That's what settles my spirit and my faith for what God is going to do next. And in the simplest form, when we share this, I don't know, week one or two, is that your testimony. It says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The word testimony means do it again. So as you share what Jesus did for me, it's a prophetic spirit that is speaking through you into the hearts of other people that says, do it again. I did it once. I'm going to do it again. I want to do it again. It's a prophetic declaration. And for me, this is probably the most common area in which God stirs my gift. When I pray for people over there in the back, um, it's crazy, like, in those who um, have come for prayer with me, I'm I'm sorry, because, like, I'll get, like, these random scriptures and that, for me, is what Jesus does. I used to be like, ah, oh, like, I'm, I'm not trying to preach at you. You know, like, I don't know why I'm saying so many Bible verses, you know. But it's, it's what God is doing in me. He, he speaks to me by what he's already spoken to me in the scriptures. Number two is a picture or symbol, an image or metaphor. Basically, an object um, or picture, an image where it has some meaning Um, It might be random, it might be simple, it might be complex, but usually imagery or visualization of an object of a scene while you're ministering or associated with somebody is prophetic pining. Let me give you a few examples of Jesus. Jesus, making the prophetic declaration over Peter, says, you are a rock. Maybe in our lingo, if he was in Epic Life today, Jesus would be like, Peter, I see a picture of a rock. You know, he'd probably start that way. And upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. You know, but we have it as like, Peter, you are a rock. But it's basically the same thing. We just have our own kind of lingo these days. Jesus foretold of Peter's great temptation by a picture of um, wheat being sifted. So Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Jesus described himself as a stone, a cornerstone which the builders would reject. The kingdom was proclaimed by a fig tree whose leaves are changing, proclaiming the season that's coming. He talked about the parable of the mustard seed. He talked about new wine and old wineskins. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus used images and symbols a lot. When we are ministering to people and we get a symbol, we get like, ah, this is weird. I don't get what this means. Again, I shared last week that I once had um, an image of a toilet, which was really bizarre, that ended up being like spot on for this guy. I was like, totally cool. Um, And sometimes they have a difficult meaning. But being afraid of that, when we try to make sense of what God is placing in us, we oftentimes will be afraid of what it is and actually step back. One of the powerful times in El Salvador, we're sitting, I don't, I can hardly speak any Spanish. I can get myself to the bathroom and that's about it. We were there with a a group and these guys were like pretty gruff. And I don't know if it was Shayla Todd or somebody else, but someone, this, this gruff guy, we're trying to, like, you know, love on them. Someone's like, so when did your brother die? And he just, like, 
got pissed and like stormed off, right? Like she had a a confirmation image in her mind about something that she was feeling about this man. It was like spot on, it's crazy. One time there was um, in El Salvador a vision of a Christmas tree. A a gal had Stephanie had this. She's like, I just see a picture of a Christmas tree as I'm praying for you guys. And the couple broke down because the Christmas tree was like symbolic of all their marital problems and their fights. And so it's important to know that if you are ministering and you get something bizarre or random, it may make no sense to you, but it's important that you share it. You're like, and you can disclaim this. And you're like, you know, I have no idea why this just jumped in my head, but this is what I just thought. And you'll be surprised at how many times God wants to give you something that's specific to somebody else through you. The third is a story, a narrative, or analogy. Where meaning is found in the purpose of the story, in the role of the story. Um, Jesus used prophetic stories all the time through the scriptures. The parable, uh, when talking about the kingdom of God coming, he talked about the parable of the sower. He talked about the hidden treasure. He talked about the hidden pearl. He talked about the unleavened bread. He talked a lot of, of bizarre stories about the kingdom. The parable of the second coming. He talked about uh, a groom coming with ten virgins with lampstands and oil and their oil issue. It was crazy, right? They talked about a rich ruler who's going to throw a banquet and, and invite all these people who don't come. He talked about a thief coming in the night. Jesus used these stories, these narratives to communicate the heart of God to people. In communicating about redemption and God's heart towards people, we have the story of the prodigal son. We have the story of the lost coin. We have the story of the one sheep that leaves the fold and he's so happy about the other. Like, these are all familiar stories, but maybe we've never understood that these are actually um, areas in which Jesus was ministering prophetically. Because they make sense because they just came from Jesus. It makes sense. But from us, when we actually look at what he was doing and how he ministered, we have to look and say, Jesus, are you still doing that? Just because Jesus did it long ago doesn't mean he's not doing it now because he lives in you. There's many other ones I have a whole list. I'm going to skip it on that one. But um, when you tell the story, when you paint the picture, when you describe the scene and the, and the um, narrative, if you will, that's designed to reach the heart. There's, there's a, a designation for somebody that they're to hear from that. And that's very common in Jesus' ministry and other people that I know. I don't get dreams too often, but when I do, they're in like this narrative form like that. And there's a few people in our ministry like Jared Eilering um, and Chad Everett. Like they actually are really, really good at when you take uh, a weird dream that makes no sense and make incredible sense out of it. I had um, a weird dream that I had somehow Bill Johnson's cell phone like at my house, and I, I couldn't get it back to him, and the phone was locked, and people were calling it, and like, you know, all these things, and hills, and three door knocks, and door, dogs at the door, it was bizarre. And um, anyways, it was, it was really awesome when someone made sense of it. My job wasn't to explain it. Like, I, at that point, I was just the recipient of this really bizarre narrative. It was like, is Jesus trying to speak to this, or did I just have some really bad burritos? And um, I was really encouraged by what Jared shared. Number four is the revelation of heart or spirit. And what this is, is special discernment and knowledge about the condition of someone's spirit or soul. I witness people who actually receive, like, almost the same heartbreak that other people have, prophetically. They're able to, like, feel people's burdens. 
this was prophesied about Jesus that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. That's Luke chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, it says that Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning the way within themselves, Jesus said to them, why are you reasoning about these things within your heart? The Spirit of God examines the heart of men. The Spirit of God will reveal to you contents of people's hearts and their conditions. And Jesus knew the condition of people, the prostitute who snuck into the dinner party with the Pharisee. And the Pharisee's like, if you knew who she was and what's in her heart, you know, and he, and he of course he knew. But when we have the Spirit of God, we're able to know and examine the condition of where people are at in their heart and their spirit. And this is similar to the next, which is a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is a fact about someone, it's a detail about someone's life or a situation that is usually private or not common knowledge. Look at this in John chapter 1. It says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathanael's like, uh, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And if you notice that Jesus wasn't around when that happened. <laughs> then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You, uh, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pretty intense. Where you have a detailed knowledge, where you've given a fact, a place of information that is not supposed to be known by you. And it's a confirmationary um, fact that helps open people's hearts. Jesus said to the woman, woman, go to your husband. She's like, I have no husband. And he's like, you speak well, you have five. You know, like he knew that. And then she's like, I'm ready to listen to whatever you want to say. So a word of knowledge, prophetically, usually is the tool of which like, kind of like, you know, the bottle opener, like, opens someone's heart to hear what you're going to say. In El Salvador, I've shared a lot of that, but a lot of people um, get those in El Salvador, ironically. Maybe it's the language barrier that we need some special help to have people listen to us. But uh, my first experience in the prophetic was a pastor who perfectly detailed the room I was in when I was in my darkest and deepest despair and depression. Like, he told me the colors of the, of the room. And I was like, I haven't told anybody this. It's my first, I was like, I will follow whoever you're following. It was amazing. I never knew God would do that. So the word of knowledge prepares someone to be completely open in faith. And finally is and this is the crazy one, is the foretelling or fourth. Everyone say fourth. Fourth telling. It's actually a word, fourth tell. Foretelling or fourth telling. Jesus was most prominent in, or I guess this was one of the more famous things he was, he would be able to tell you like, go into that city and you'll find a colt that's untied. Go to the man who has a pitcher of water and tell him we need, the master needs the upper room. You know, he would tell you all these things. Peter, before the crow, uh, before the rooster crows three times tomorrow, you will deny me. Let down your nets and you will catch some, some fish. Cast a hook. The first fish you catch, there'll be a coin in his mouth. The son of man will be betrayed. The temple will be destroyed. The nation of Israel will be surrounded. Rulers will seize you, throw you in prison, and kill you. Like, he was really, really spot on about what would happen. 
Now, people should be cautious with this one because it takes a great anointing to be able to see what God will do. Now, there's a huge difference between what God will do and what God wants to do. And sometimes people get confused by communicating what God wants to do with what God will do. And that's where we, we find people get kind of their wires crossed. It's much, I think, biblical to, to be what is forthtelling, which is basically making things known. Forthtelling means to make things known. Foretelling means to tell them before it happens. And so to be someone who prophesies in a forthtelling manner is to reveal and to make known what God wants. And we know what God wants. He wants to encourage, build up, and comfort. Why? Because he's reconciling all people to himself. And so we can take confidence in knowing that we can reveal what God wants to do and be careful of that boundary of what God will do. I'm very cautious about that. I've had one person in my life who's actually prophesied correctly what God would do. And it was about, and I shared this, I think, last week, about kids and the right timing of kids and the business and, and very detailed prophecy. It was awesome. But I'm torn with that one because I, I was given that in a moment of incredible discouragement. I was given that prophecy about what God wanted and will do in my moment. And I believe what it did is it opened my faith up so that I actually would walk in that. I wonder if I would have been able to walk that out if someone hadn't painted a picture of like God is going to take you here. I don't know. But I'm just here to communicate to you that those are the, the, the two angles of that and to be very, very cautious for people who suddenly they're getting pictures and words and revelations and word and all to be very careful about ever saying, thus does the Lord God will do this and smite all of San Francisco. Um, you want to have a respected prophetic ministry. And as long as you're building up encouraging and comforting and reconciling people, they're going to be fine. So um, I'm going to have the band come up. I'm pretty much done. So how do you do it? How, if, if those are the signs, and that's not a definitive list by any stretch. These are the ones that are most pronounced and obvious and, and that I've seen I see these all in the life of Jesus, which is great, but it's not all of them. So how can you understand to participate in this? I'm about to leave to go surfing. Woohoo! Anybody surf here before? Okay. We all need to go surfing. So the best way I can describe you participating in the prophetic is with the analogy of surfing. When you're surfing... You're out in the water, and you see a little wave coming. And what you have to do is you have to use your own strength. You have to use your own mind. You have to use your own direction. You have to find yourself in the right place, hopefully the right angle, the right speed. And you paddle, 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 paddle until the wave captures you, and then you stand up on top of it. And then you are then riding all the power and authority of the wave. Now, people get confused with about prophecies that they have no control over it. They have no role like, ah, if God wants to speak to me, I guess he'll open my mouth. No. The goal is that you open your mouth and you begin to catch up to the speed of the Spirit. Sometimes I'm like, I, Jesus, I have nothing at all for this person. Um, please make them go away. No, I don't say that. But I'm like, Jesus, I, I don't have anything. And it feels like paddle. You paddle not to, um, you paddle in faith knowing that you catch up to it. 
If I were to just sit there, I'm like, well, I don't have to do anything. I just I hope that the wave will catch me. You'll never catch a wave you don't paddle into. But when you paddle into it, you're catching up to it, and eventually you get into the flow, you get into it. And that is how you can steward it, is as you pray for someone, just begin to open them and say, Jesus, would you begin to reveal what you want to have known? And just begin to speak, just begin to speak. And eventually you'll find yourself in like, hey, like this kind of sounds okay. And, and you'll, you'll kind of like be wandering around, and then you'll catch the wave. And then you'll radically bring someone to a divine encounter with Jesus because they have then heard from the Spirit. They might have been hearing from you. There might be a, a tricky transition. They might be like, the first part was from you, but the second part, bueno. They might, they might be that kind of, but that's totally okay. And so I want to encourage you guys not to be afraid of any of this stuff, but to know that you have to participate in it. So this was um, kind of the end, and I wanted to just end with a blessing to you guys and the prophetic. Is that all right? Um, and we're going to sing a couple songs, and Eric will come up and, and close us to pray. We'll have our, our ministry up here. Um, if I may, I'd love to highlight um, Tara, Shadi, and Nicole. These individuals are very gifted in the prophetic. And um, so just so you know who we recognize and highlight and, and know, and a lot of people are ministry, but specifically them, they're very good and can help um, guide you into hearing. Same with Eric as well. But I just want to read this blessing to you. I bless you to be able to hear the voice of God for yourself and on behalf of others. I bless you with the confidence that prophecy is for today and that you yourself can prophesy. I bless you with the discernment to to decipher spirits and clearly see the works of the devil and the works of Jesus. I bless you with the peace for any distraction that enters your mind that may indeed actually be the spirit of God speaking to you, that your mind would not be discouraged or distracted. I bless you with the biblical promise that you have the mind of Christ. Your thoughts can be and are his thoughts. I bless you to proclaim prophetically to the world what Jesus has done and that God is not counting people's sins against them in Christ Jesus. And I bless you with boldness to change the world by giving people an encounter with the living God who speaks today. Amen. I love you guys.